The Innocence Project gives a conservative estimate that there are over 20,000 innocent people currently locked away in US prisons, convicted of crimes they didn't commit. Unjust and Unsolved is a new true crime podcast from investigative journalist Maggie Freeling and the Obsessed Network. It tells the stories of these people and these crimes. Maggie began the project by sending letters to people in prison whose stories haunted her, and she heard back from nearly all of them. They all wanted their stories to be heard. Now, each episode focuses on a single case. The stories are told through original interviews with the convicted person, their loved ones, lawyers, and advocates. Maggie examines the crimes, sharing all the evidence pointing away from the convicted person, and in some instances, presenting the case for other suspects. In a recent episode, Maggie actually shed much-needed additional light on the Colahaco case, which we investigated for our first podcast series, Dead Man Talking. A woman and her former boyfriend are in prison in Texas for a murder that a serial killer told me he committed. Unjust and Unsolved is a compelling mix of investigative journalism and true crime storytelling. And you can find Unjust and Unsolved and all the Obsessed Network podcasts wherever you get your podcasts. I see my life come shining. Hello, I am Alex Hannaford and this is The Innocence. And I'm producer Pete. Today we're talking to Juan Melendez. Juan Melendez. Sentenced to death for a crime he did not commit and then spent 17 years on death row. Tell me about Juan. Juan Melendez spent um, just shy of 18 years on death row in Florida, which in the 1990s, which is when he was convicted, was actually one of the most active death rows in the nation. And tell me a bit about him. What was he convicted of? So Juan was convicted of killing a man called Delbert Baker. Delbert Baker was murdered in the beauty parlor he owned and ran in Polk County, Florida. Who owned a cosmetology school. A brutal murder took place. Baker's body was found at the school. It was a horrifying scene. He'd been shot three times. He had his throat slashed. Before being robbed of almost $10,000 worth of jewelry. Uh, And a few months later, a man called David Falcone told police that Juan was responsible. Juan was innocent. How did they convict him? Juan was innocent. Um, Falcone was a convicted felon and there was a $5,000 reward for information about the murder. Juan had never met Baker and he had nothing to do with the crime. Juan couldn't afford an attorney and in less than a week, which he talks about in this interview, he was convicted and sentenced to death even though there was no physical evidence against him. And you said at the start that he spent just shy of 18 years on on death row, which is extraordinary for an innocent man. How was he finally exonerated? Yeah, I mean, so one's attorney at the time of the trial even interviewed a man in prison who a witness had placed at the scene of the murder and had said that one was not there. But this this evidence never, this man never testified at, at his trial. Hence, he was sentenced to death and spent so long on uh, death row. But then, eventually, a new investigator who sort of came to the case, you know, while Juan was on death row, discovered a transcript of a tape of this guy's interview. And in that interview, he had confessed 
to the murder. And so, um, the, you know, there was a taped confession, basically. And so that was uh, the proof that was needed for one to eventually be released. So there's lots of twists and turns. And just a little little point, one has a really strong Spanish accent, but you'll get used to it. And the way he tells this story is so compelling. So I think you're really going to find this fascinating. Hey, Juan. Hey. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> How are you? Okay, ready? Yeah, I like your Witness to Innocence t-shirt. Yes, I am. belong to this organization and it helped me a lot. Puerto Rican migrant worker Juan Melendez, who could not read or write English, was picking fruit on a farm in Pennsylvania when he was arrested for the crime by the FBI and extradited to face trial in Florida. The charges against Juan were first-degree murder, and armed robbery. An acquaintance with a criminal record allegedly claimed a $5,000 reward by telling police that Juan was the killer. Police obviously, you know, wanted to close this case. Here they are, two people implicating you. And this is something that's come up before in this podcast series. People who have been in trouble with the law before become prime suspects. I think you as a young man had been arrested before. And so as far as the police were concerned, it's like, oh, well, this guy must have... And that's the truth. And mostly of the death row scenarios, they have a criminal past. Mm. And that's why they get arrested in case be fabricated against against us because of that. Because we already been in the system. We already had committed some type of crime, made a mistake. But mm-hmm. we pay for what we've done. Mm-hmm. And then when they do the injustice to us, because what they did to me was close to intent to murder. Mm-hmm. Couldn't lost my life and therefore the crime I did not commit. What did you tell your attorney, your court-appointed lawyer? Presumably you said to him or her, you know, they've got the wrong person. This guy that has implicated me or these guys have something to gain from this. They have their own cases pending. These cases are going to be dropped if they implicate me, if they work with police. Do you think your attorney believed you? What did they suggest was the way forward? Amigo, it's something that you got to understand. Over here in the United States, it's not about justice. It's about winning. So the truth don't matter. So, I tell my lawyer, everything you're saying there, I ain't got nothing to do with this. I ain't got nothing to do with that. You know, first of all, my lawyer is an American. He speaks English. Then I may even give him an interpreter. But my lawyer used to tell me this. He used to pat me in the head and tell me, don't worry about it. You going home. So that's an interesting point. So me and Pete, uh, the producer, we produced a podcast a couple of years back, and that was a pivotal issue. Somebody had been convicted of murder and was made to sign a confession, and the translation into his native Spanish was so bad, he didn't really know what he was signing. There was a, a miscommunication thing. So this is what you're saying is there was a language barrier as well. Oh, yeah, I'm sitting down in there, and I'm thinking that all I got to do is be in front of the jurors and they're going to set up this, I ain't did nothing, and just got to go to a process. That's what I'm thinking. I don't know what's going on in there. Mm. But I did understood mm. this. When I went to trial, and they showed the pictures, the mm. crime scene, or the mm. murderer, or the homicide, it's a body, dead body in there. A man throw a slash. It's blood everywhere. He shot three times. 
So when the jurors saw them pictures and they looked at me, they looked at me with a lot of hate. And I know it. That's when I got scared. I felt this Puerto Rico is, is in big, big trouble. Juan, was there any physical evidence linking you to the murder? Not nothing physical whatsoever. DNA. There's the testimony. Testimony of two people. Two people. Trial started on a Monday. Tuesday, still picking jury. Wednesday, evidence come in. Thursday, they found me guilty. Friday, 10 o'clock in the morning, I'm already sent it to death. Juan was unable to follow most of what was said in his trial, where he was found guilty and sentenced to death. In five days, he's convicted and sentenced to death. Five days. Five days. Now, the prosecution called this convicted felon, the guy Falcon, we talked about to testify in front of the jury that you were responsible. Your attorney even interviewed a man in prison, Vernon James, who a witness had placed at the scene of the murder, and he said you were not there. Was Vernon James's interview played at your trial? Well, Vernon James, he took the fifth amendment. He refused to testify. He refused to testify. And he took the fifth while the jury was not in there. Mm. They took the jury out and then they brought Leonard James in. He takes the fifth. The jury don't know that he took the fifth. The jury don't know nothing about Bernard James. Then he comes out. Just to give um, the people listening a bit of background to this, that if you plead the fifth, it's because you don't want to implicate yourself and you have the right to do that. So Vernon James, it would later transpire, was there the night of the murder. It was worried it would, it would implicate him. Not only did he refuse to testify, but his interview that your lawyer had done with him was not allowed to be played to the jury. You also had an alibi. Tell us about that. Well, <laughs> the alibi was a married woman. Juan, maybe you shouldn't tell us about that. (laughs) But there were witnesses to this alibi as well. She put the Mary on on the line, you know, because she she know that I'm innocent. And then she went and testified. And she had four more witnesses corroborating. And this, this was put before the jury? Yeah. But it didn't help. It didn't help. They didn't believe it. Juan, you talked about day five. You were sentenced to death. Did you still think at this point that this is all some big mistake and that, that they're going to realize this in a, in a few weeks' time? Or did, at this point, did it dawn on you, I'm going to die for this, a crime that I didn't commit? Well, that's right. And I talked to a lot of, lot of people inside jail about my situation. Mm. And they were telling me, Juan, I think with the death penalty, you come out better because you can give publicity. And with the publicity, you can show you, you're innocent. So this is what I got in my head. So I tell the lawyer, I say, listen, I don't want you to put nobody to speak on my behalf. So anyway, the thing is, I wanted to get the death penalty for the reason that thinking that I can get publicity and prove my innocence. But Mm. I tell you one damn thing, I don't advise that to nobody. Well, I I was going to say, this is in Florida. In Florida. Now, Florida death row, for those listening, particularly in the 1990s, this is a notorious death penalty state. This is a time in American sort of criminal justice history when the electric chair was being used in Florida. And this was eventually outlawed, I believe, in the late 90s when some horrific pictures emerged of a man being executed by electric chair. Now, what happened was somebody leaked these pictures to the news media to the outside world. And there was such an uproar 
because the pictures were so graphic and horrible. And this man clearly suffered incredibly for a long time. We got the pictures. I saw it. It was very, 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 very horrified. And you mm. get scared because mm. you'll be thinking when you see them pictures, amigo, you'll be thinking, this can happen to me. 6,446 days. That's how long Juan Melendez sat on death row thinking he would die for a crime he didn't commit. All on the word of a lying witness. You had a long time to think about this. My friend, the hardest thing for me in death row was that executions. Because I'm in this cell, right? And next to me is another person that's condemned to death. That I know for 10, 15 years, perhaps more. He cries in my shoulders. I cries in his. I share with him my most intimate thoughts. And he shared his with me. I learned to slowly grow to love him. And then one day they snatch him out of there. And I know what's going to happen. They're going to kill him. 2,010 bulls that got to go through his body in order to get him killed. And I can hear this bossy sound. Mm, mm, mm. That's still in my mind. And I know precisely the time when they burned the life out of him. And this is no movie, my friend. This is reality. The lights, bolt lights, they go on and off and flash on and off. And that's when you know he's gone. A brief word from one of our sponsors. Is there something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional counselling done securely online. There's a broad range of expertise which may not be available locally in many areas. The service is available for clients worldwide. You can log in to your account anytime, send a message to your counsellor, and you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can also schedule weekly video and phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. And BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counsellors if you need to. It's more affordable than traditional offline counselling and financial aid is available. So visit their website and read their testimonials that are posted daily like this one. Ms Young is a fantastic therapist. She's restored my faith in talk therapy. And through her, I've learned numerous coping mechanisms and she's given me tools to work on bettering myself. Visit betterhelp.com. And as a special offer for listeners to Huddled Masses, The Innocents, you'll get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com forward slash masses. Juan, how, how the hell did you get through the 18 years on death row knowing that you were innocent, knowing that this could very well happen to you, and also dealing with friends losing their life in this horrific way time after time? Well, it's not to, not to lose hope. And it's people like, like yours in, in Europe that write us letters, and we read them letters. They don't believe in the death penalty. They don't care if you're innocent or guilty. It's wrong to kill. So when we give them letters from pen pals, it gives us hope. We're not alone in this. And being innocent always helps a lot. 
because you think that one day, all I got to do is stay alive, fight for my life. And one day, the truth come out. And it did, thank God. I just want to just ask you, because one thing that I've noticed over the years is that when people are on in prison or on death row for a long time, you know, they get visits from family and friends and supporters and people mean well, they want to visit all the time, but eventually it's expensive to, to keep coming and visiting. And so those visits start to tail off. I only saw my mama twice. I told her don't come no more. It was not because of the expensive. It is expensive. It's because when do they come and they leave... You want to live with them. You want to go home. And then, then when they leave, I may go, it's a big de- depression. In other words, for me, not coming to see me, it works. Because I'm telling you, I saw people that give them visits all the time, and they come back very sad. And then in the day, the family don't come to see them. Oh, that's a very depressing day. Juan, you had various appeals over the years denied. And then in 1996, the Florida Supreme Court ordered what's known as an evidentiary hearing. At that evidentiary hearing, one of the people who testified against you retracted the testimony. He said the police had intimidated him. And he testified that Vernon James, the man your attorney had interviewed all those years before, who said he was there at the time of the murder and that you weren't there, had confessed to him that he was the killer. There was still no retrial. And finally, in 2000, a new investigator discovered a transcript of the tape of Vernon James's interview. What did Vernon James say in that interview? Vernon James, he confessed to so many people. I think in that, in that one in there, he said he was there with two more. He saw two people argue, and that's when the killing happened. But the truth is, the bloody clothes and everything. What, what happened to Vernon James? Vernon James was also... Murderer, he was killed by the police. If you got the information right, you will know he was also a police informant. And the police that killed him was charged with the murderer, involuntary manslaughter. He used to work for Bernard James, and he also confessed to Bernard James that he killed Mr. Dale. Wow. All the evidence point really point to Bernard James. Mm. One in end of 2001, your conviction was vacated and you were released in January 2002. I want to know about the day that you got out. But before we talk about that, I just, I wondered what, I've never asked anybody this before, but there's a lag. There's a, there's a, a, a period of time between when the courts say, yes, you are innocent, we're going to release you, uh, or, or when your conviction is vacated and when you are actually released. In your case, it was probably about a month, maybe two months. I want to know how you deal with that period of time, albeit very short compared to the whole 18 years. How do you deal with that, knowing that you're going to get out, but you can't walk free right now? Is it a happy time or is it a painfully terrible time because you know that you're going to get out, but you're not out? Amigo, I think you're the first one that ever asked me that question. It's a very, very... uh... A strange, strange time because you go to eventually hearing first. Lots of hope. You're feeling good. I know with a new trial, I got one foot inside and one foot outside. I need both of them out. So now <laughs> my head is going, amigo, oh, I'm, now I'm thinking, I don't want to go to this county jail. And if I go, I'm just going to tell them to lock me up in solitary. I don't want to be around nobody. 
because snitches around. You understand what I'm saying? And is violent, right? You presumably there's also the sense that just look, I'm about to get out. Protect me. I don't want to have any any risk of losing my life in prison or in jail. That's right. It's a lot of things that go to your head, amigo. But all wow. you're facing all these things, and you're talking to your lawyers. And I'm not lying to you, my amigo. I did not know when I was going to get out. Hmm. When I got out of that cell, I don't even know what the hell I was going. Juan Melendez spent 17 years, eight months, and one day on death row in a six-by-nine-foot prison cell. In 2002, Melendez was exonerated and freed after a taped confession from the real killer came to life. Melendez was exonerated and released in 2002. Tell me about that day, Juan. So January 3rd, 2002. Tell me about leaving the leaving prison for the for the last time. It was a hell of a hell of a good mm. feeling, my amigo. It is like that's how I describe it to the people. It is like when you watch cartoons, you see the cartoon character. He hits the, the other one inside the head. Boom! You see that knife that's come straight up. Then you see a ring star that's going out of his head. And then you, then you see him, he's in a state of shock, but he's smiling. That's how it was. In a state of shock, but smiling, happy. Wow. Growing push to eliminate the death penalty here in Florida, including from a man who was once on Florida's death row for a crime he didn't commit. Melendez says he is an example of why the state should make a change. He now travels around the country giving lectures about the need to suspend the death penalty. But some exonerated death row inmates are questioning the case against him and appealing to the governor. They say his story is similar to their own wrongful conviction. Juan, um, today you relive what happened to you again and again. You're a public speaker. You're an activist. How do you do that? How do you tell the story again and again about what happened to you, the worst thing that happened to you? I do it because... It's a reason to do it. I do it because I don't want it to happen to me, to happen to others. I don't believe in the death penalty. I never did. One thing is not to believe in the death penalty, but another thing to act in it. So mm-hmm. I don't believe in it, but I also act in it. I want to abolish. So I do whatever I can to uh, help to abolish the death penalty. And one of the happy times in my life since I've been out is when I hear a state that abolished the death penalty. And that's happened a few times. Oh, yeah. It's been 22 states about uh, the death penalty. When I got out, it was 12. And now it's 22. And I have worked and with the help of Witness to Innocence and Honesty International, among other organizations that have helped me go out and work and do lobby and, and do speaking engagement, talking to schools, universities, and Anybody that want to hear that we can put in our side to abolish the death penalty, that's what we do. Turns out his story is surprisingly common in Florida. Since 1989, 21 people have been convicted of murder in Florida, only to later be exonerated. You are the final exoneree in our series. We've made a whole series about wrongful conviction, about innocence. What would you like to tell our listeners about criminal justice in America and how often these wrongful convictions happen. I will tell you that this, my story is, is not unique. It's 172 of us from the death row. It's probably over 500 innocent people that have got out. I think we need to reform the criminal system. We need to do some work in it. Police officers got to stop relying on snitches. 
We got to be careful with the, with this eyewitness uh, testimony. They should videotape every interrogation they got to do with murder. Because the problem with this is, once you put an innocent person in prison for homicide, for murder, what do you think the real killer is doing? Is doing more, more homicide. We got to get it right. And I think we can, we can get it right. We, we need to reform. Juan, um, it's such a powerful story, and I, I, I really appreciate you sharing it with us. Um, I wish you the best, and thank you so much. I would like to say uh, uh, this to all of you. I appreciate what everything all you have done. You think uh, you're doing me a favor. To me, this is very personal. I like people like all of you when you see a, see a situation, not only the death penalty, anything that can affect the community. We should get involved and don't wait till things fall on our lap and react. You see, I, I never believe in the death penalty, but I never react on it to it happen to me. So when I see people like you, I, I admire the, the thing that I love most when I do is when I go to places and they open the door for me. And so I can go and do this work. It's very personal. I really want this thing done before I die. Well, I just, I mean, we're just, all we're doing is amplifying your voice and your story, but you're the one brave enough to, to retell it. So thank you, Juan. And thank you too. Green Chef is the first USDA certified organic meal kit company. Enjoy clean ingredients you can trust. And what's more, they're seasonally sourced for peak freshness. Helpfully, the ingredients come to your door in protective packaging, iced where necessary, pre-measured and perfectly portioned, so you can spend less time stressing and more time enjoying delicious home-cooked meals. I tried Green Chef out cooking a restaurant-worthy meal in under 30 minutes. Crispy southern chicken with a Creole Dijonese, mashed potatoes and green beans. And it really was easy to cook and delicious. You can try Green Chef too. What's more, my listeners get this special offer. If you go to greenchef.com forward slash masses 90 to get $90 off, including free shipping. So once again, to try out the number one meal kit for eating well, go to greenchef.com forward slash masses 90 and don't forget to use the promo code masses 90 to get 90 dollars off including free shipping another unbelievable interview so good of Juan to open up and and tell us his story like that something that i found pretty horrific was when he spoke about his friends on death row being taken away to be executed and the bulbs would start flashing on the block and there'd be a sort of whirring electrical sound um and after that he knew his friends would be no more and he'd also know that that would happen to him uh, sooner or later so yeah just just a remarkable story it's very it's very sort of um visual isn't it very filmic you sort of imagine that this is it, it, it's it's almost like a movie when you you know someone's taken to the electric chair and the other inmates are in their um, cages essentially and and see you know there's almost like power surges that take place that he describes um, in vivid detail um, and you know it, it's important to kind of note that in in 1972 in America capital punishment was suspended after a Supreme Court ruling so um, what what is referred to 
uh, when people talk about the death penalty here because it was reinstated four years later. So post-1976 is referred to as the modern era of the death penalty in the United States because there was this four-year hiatus. And since then, so since 1976, in the modern era, more than 170 people have been released from death row with evidence of their innocence. So quite understandably... You know, when one talks about this stuff and, and the vivid descriptions of, of of what is actually happening, you know, he's doing two things. He's giving you a picture of, of what it's really, really like. And then he's advocating, you know, at, one is an advocate for suspending the death penalty, for abolishing the death penalty in the United States altogether. Um and it's also important to remember that that, that Florida, where Juan was on death row, today has the second largest death row population in the nation after California and before Texas. It has 346 inmates on death row. Well, good for Juan for sticking up for what he believes is right and for travelling around, talking about his experiences, which can't be an easy thing to do. Should also give a shout to his wife. Yeah, Judy Caruso. Um, she, you know, was really helpful in setting this up and, and making sure that the whole sort of technological wizardry behind the scenes was working. Yeah. So thank you, Judy. All right. Well, this was actually our final episode in the series with an exoneree, but it's not the final episode. So Alex, we've got the final episode coming up next. Tell us a little bit about that. Don't give too much away, but just a little bit. Yeah, the next interview, um, which is the final episode in the series, is with John Hardin, who is the co-founder and executive director of Proclaim Justice, which is an organisation you'll have heard of uh, a lot through this series. They've been very helpful in putting us in touch with exonerees. Um, People that uh, listened to the first episode of this series with Jason, the interview with Jason Baldwin, who was one of the West Memphis Three wrongfully convicted of murder. John was actually part of the team that helped free them. Uh, and after that, he started Proclaim Justice with Jason to help free other wrongfully convicted inmates. But it's a really, really fascinating interview. And I think it's a really interesting way to round up the series because John has sort of devoted his life to helping free the wrongfully convicted. And it kind of sums up everything that we're trying to do in this series. All right, Alex. That's enough for now. See you next week. And can I have some credits, please? The Innocence is presented by me, Alex Hannaford. The producer and sound engineer was Peter Sale. Our theme music is I Shall Be Released by Polly Niles, courtesy of Cherry Red Records. Thanks again to Juan Melendez, Judy Caruso, and to Delia Perez-Meyer, who helped sort out the interview. The Innocence is a DMT media production for Audio Boom. Everything can be replaced They say every distance is not near So I remember every face Of every man who put